Well, here we are. For all the time that we've spent in these years talking about why we might one day need a more connected healthcare system, right now we need it more than ever. A healthcare system that's accessible, progressive, and secure. Central to all of that is better use of data and technology to help all Australians live healthier lives with greater control and better access to important health information. And since COVID-19, digital health has seen tremendous growth in relevance and importance, making it more pertinent than ever for all Australians and healthcare providers. Here to hold all that accountable and together in Australia is the ADHA, the Australian Digital Health Agency. The CEO of the ADHA is Amanda Catamol, and she joins me on the podcast today. In this episode, we're going to talk about COVID-19 and the role of digital health, the relevance of my health record to all Australians, that infamous I word, interoperability, and what the road ahead looks like on the national digital health strategy. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Amanda Catamol. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Digital Health Agency since September 2020. Prior to that, she was the Chief Operating Officer at Services Australia, which was formerly the Department of Human Services. And she's held several other senior roles at Services Australia in her time. Amanda's also held senior roles at the Commonwealth Departments of Treasury, Prime Minister and Cabinet and Families, Housing, Community Services and Indigenous Affairs, and the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services and the Western Australian Department of Indigenous Affairs. In her early career, Amanda worked as a lawyer, I didn't know that. In Victoria, the Northern Territory in Western Australia. And she holds a Bachelor of Laws, a Bachelor of Commerce, a Master's of Laws, and a Master's of Business Administration. She also received the Public Services Medal for Outstanding Public Service, leading reform in providing housing for Indigenous people in remote communities and the National Gambling Reform Laws. Amanda Catamol, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Pete. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We got it in before episode 200, so thank you for making the time in your very busy schedule. It's a pleasure. But what a good time to come on. Look, I feel like it would be important to ask about COVID-19 and digital health. Obviously, we're uh, on this side of COVID-19. How do you go about describing the impact that COVID-19 has had on digital health? Yeah, no, I don't think you can have a conversation about digital health at the moment without talking about COVID-19. It has just had such a irrefutable impact on digital health and digital uptake generally. I'd probably say two things if I had to kind of summarise it. One would be it has amplified and accelerated everything. And I think that's been really significant. And we've all been part of that. We've all seen how digital technology can help us provide information that we need about our health right when we need it. And no more so is there evidence of what we're all doing right now, which is downloading our COVID-19 proof of vaccination digital certificate, which is helping us be out and about again as we kind of come out and uh, into this emerging post-COVID world, as we're calling it. I think that's one. And the second one that I think has been equally remarkable is it has changed the public conversation about digital technology and about uptake and about how we can really bring this to bear as a very significant part of the future of our health system. 
And that, I think that really, it, I mean, aside from the changes have been remarkable and they have absolutely been what we needed when we needed them, I think it's equally exciting and significant that our conversation in Australia about what this means, about how we all participate, how we think about it as part of the way we support access on equity and sustainability of the system has suddenly really lifted and I think we are starting to have the depth and breadth of conversation that I think we need to have to really step forward in digital health into the future. Totally. And I really like, you know, what you've suggested there too in that, you know, the relevance to all Australians that digital health has. It's like there's things that are tangible that people who aren't immediately close to the industry experience. And so much of the conversations that I've experienced in the past in relation to digital health have been about really important issues, but they're, you know, and things that we'll no doubt talk about in this conversation too. But there's things that people who aren't involved in the industry now can access the health information, everything all enabled through digital health. And central to a lot of that is my health record. And it seems that we've got some really good real world examples of the utility or the benefit of my health record for everyday Australians. Would you agree? Oh, I think that's absolutely right, Pete. And it's been Again, like as part of this kind of acceleration and amplification, we have seen exactly the same change in people's engagement with My Health Record, use and uptake, and the way clinicians and other health providers are thinking about My Health Record. And one of the things that I think has been critical from the perspective of my agency is that people's expectations have shifted as they should. And what we needed to do is to make sure that we are meeting those expectations, that when people go into their record, it looks and feels different. They have the information that they want now when they need it right up front, really clearly. And so what we've been doing through the last 18 months as these changes have occurred is to make a really big set of enhancements in my health record throughout this pandemic time so that it looks and feels fresher and more like you'd expect, you know, it to look as Australians start to really engage with these digital platforms. And that information like immunisation history statements, the digital vaccination certificate, notifications around second dose, and then other information that was already there, but that suddenly can be brought to the fore. So you've got all of that right in front of you in a really usable, attractive way is been our part of this. So that as people go into their record, they go, oh, that looks nice. I can see what I need right now. And it's more, in many ways, I think it's, that's what I expect it to look like. You know, this meets my expectations. And as people are moving through that expectational change, we want to make sure we're there with them. And so one of the things that we've been doing is an enormous amount of user work, talking to Australians, talking to health providers. What do you want to see? How do you want to see it? What's the look and feel? And for for health providers, how's it going to fit into your clinical workflows? Because we've always had that feedback that if it's too clunky, if it's too many clicks, if you've got to go in and out, it's just not fast enough in an environment where people are, you know, wanting to engage rapidly. They're in the middle of a, a consultation. This has to be as enabling and as appealing as it possibly can. And what's been fantastic about that, aside from the fact that I I'm so excited about the changes we're making. And I hope for any listening, if you haven't been into your record lately, I'm hoping if you do, you'll get that experience. But I think what's been interesting is we are seeing the change. And we look at people's engagement with the record. And we've seen, for example, on pathology tests alone, a more than 500% increase in people going in and looking at their pathology reports because that's what they need. They need to see those COVID tests, you know, and, and have those available to them. 
And that's led people to also then start to look at other parts of diagnostic imaging. We're seeing huge changes and uploads on diagnostic imaging because people are then saying, well, that's quite handy to have that information. I would like more of that. And talking to their health providers, you know, when I have the diagnostic imaging report done, could you please make sure that you upload it? And the more we do that, the more we then have that kind of quality and diversity of information in the record that is going to really then help people have it at their fingertips and engage with their health in a more holistic, wrapped around way because it's right there in front of them. I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen, and it sort of goes to what you were talking about in your opening, is recently there was a Facebook post from a consumer who just had posted out there saying, and I just had to come up on my feed, that she was quite frustrated because she really had to press her healthcare provider to put certain information in, in her My Health record. And that not only was that a really interesting thing in itself, but it created quite a lengthy and mostly very positive set of responses through people coming through, basically saying, we absolutely need this. You should ask your health provider. This is kind of what we expect now. And if you only have to think over the last couple of years about what a remarkable change that is, that people are asking for this and the sense is, yes, absolutely, this is what we want now and you should ask for more of it. And so I think that's a really big change in consumer attitudes to their own personally controlled health record. And on the provider side, we're seeing it as well. We're seeing nearly 200% increases in viewing of certain documents, particularly in public hospitals. And we're seeing a lot of what we call cross-viewing, which is a way of measuring that I've looked at something that, that another clinician has put into the record. So in other words, I'm drawing on information that was inputted by another part of the system. And that's one of the real signals that you're getting the kind of connectivity that a health record system should give you, that I can grab hold of things that one of my colleagues has put in and have that as part of what I look at as a clinician when I'm talking with a patient about their critical health information. So we're seeing this really interesting uptick right across the system and through consumers. And I think what that says is better value proposition. People are finding the use that the more they use it, the more they want, the more they ask, the more they get. And that's what I'm hoping is the virtuous circle that we're starting to be in as part of this extraordinary revolution that I think we're in really right across digital and digital health. I feel like we've come a long way from when uh, maybe five years ago when someone would ask me, why would they use the My Health record? And the best answer I could give at the time was the old, you know, oh, if you rock up in an ambulance and go to hospital, they know what allergies you have, which again is important and all of that. But it's kind of like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, That's good. Yeah. And, and there's so much more utility now and the why is there for everyday Australians. And then like you say, then there's like, what else do I use it for? And once you've seen it, you kind of know, okay, that's what I could do and here's the potential. And then we've got that partnership between the clinicians and the patients actually making it useful. That's really cool. Another really good example of, you know, utility on a day-to-day -day that's out of necessity was through COVID is e-prescribing. And generally that's kind of seen as a, a big win and a, and a success in, in terms of that shift from the way we used to prescribe to now. Like, well, what do you attribute a lot of that success towards? So I think there's two kind of really key elements to this, Pete. So one is the, the one we've just talked about, which is it was necessary. This has provided something that really mattered to people, particularly people during periods of lockdown. And so we've just seen, and there was that sense that we were ready as well. So those two things coming together. And from a standing start in May last year, we're now at some well over 23 million e-prescribed scripts. So just the exponential growth in that 
and nearly every community pharmacy in Australia having dispensed an electronic script. So we've just seen this remarkable uptick because it was necessary. So we provided something that people could find really useful at the time that it was needed. But I think the second thing, and this is an ingredient that I've talked about a bit and I feel really passionately about, is it obviously it was a value proposition that people needed. That's great. But I think part of why it was so successful was also because of how we went about it. So this was what I would describe as deep co-design between us, the software industry, particularly the Medical Software Industry Association and members and pharmacies and the peak pharmacy bodies in particular, as well as others. But that coming together where everyone went, right, this really matters. This has been on the list for a long time, but we need this now. What is it we need to do to come together to make this happen at the point at which it's going to really work for Australians? And I think the way we went about this, role clarity between all the parties, a spirit of collaboration, a sense that we were going to make change that was going to matter is, in my opinion, a benchmark now for the way we have to go about this. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about this because I feel so strongly about it, that we can't come back from this now. This sense of deep co-design where industry, government and professional peaks and consumers, because we tested this really heavily along the way, come together rapidly in a spirit of collaboration, work through it, design together, build together, and then go about rolling out where we acknowledge how important change and adoption is. So how we all need to work together to get everyone where they need to be is absolutely the new norm, in my opinion. And I think that's what we've got to bottle from now on. That is how we'll make the kind of change, even without the kind of driver we had with COVID-19. But that kind of accelerated change is what we've got to really keep together from now on, because it will give people what they need when they need it in exactly the same way. Love it. Totally agree with you on that one. And let's say that we've bottled that up and we're riding that wave and we're ready to apply it to the next big thing to solve. There's still lots to be done. What needs to be addressing right now in your mind when it comes to to healthcare and innovation? So I think it just has to be said. I think you said the I word. I call it the I word too. (laughs) We just have to say that now more than ever, the notion that we need a truly interoperable system is just self-evident. And while I think we've made significant changes in particular parts of the system, so e-prescribing is a great example, a an area that we needed, we went there. There is still a lot to do. It is still an overly fragmented system of reporting and information sharing that has chunks that have been solved. And I reckon there is now more recognition and more wherewithal across the system including governments, right across the industry and healthcare providers, everyone I talk to feels the same way, that we have enough of these bits now to bring this together and create the alchemy. And I guess from my perspective, as a bit of a steward in this system, and I hope a bit of the glue, that's sort of how I often describe us, that we can really work with all our colleagues across the system to help make this happen. And so auspice by health department chief executives about seven or eight months ago, actually it must be a bit longer, it was before COVID, was work on an interoperability plan. And there was this sense even then, you've got to get a plan, we've got to get everyone where they need to be and work on a roadmap that's going to get us to a much more interoperable system. So that work's been drawn together and designed over the last many months. And we're now at the point of consultation on this interoperability plan. And we're really about to come out and ask healthcare consumers and ask providers and talk to industry colleagues and state governments, as well as, of course, the federal government on how does this plan look and feel to you? What do we need to change? How do we need to kind of align incentives with action 
who needs to step forward when, what might the role of this agency be or others in stewarding that standards-making and specifications identification process. We've got to talk funding. We've got to talk what's the role of regulators. I think all of that is now on the table because everyone gets that we are going to need to make significant decisions on a healthcare system that is, you know, data-driven, digitally enabled, deeply connected, and we're starting to see that if we want to stay a world-class health system, there's, there's no question this is now an imperative. And I'm really, really hopeful that we have a pathway in this draft plan, which we will absolutely, of course, change and shape and test and check over a, you know, a number of months. But we have enough wherewithal now in front of us to have the conversation we need to have, get a plan that can be lived with across the system, and then start work on how we together map out those bits. I'm quite excited about that. I think it's got clear prioritised areas of action that are generally agreed. We've now got to keep this co-design approach. We have to talk widely across the system, get all the views we need, and we have to frame a pathway that we can all get on and start walking down together. I think that's a big piece. But along the way, I think what we've also learned is taking chunks and fixing them when people need them is also a really good thing to be doing. We shouldn't just wait for the perfect plan. We're never going to get there. And I kind of think that's where we've tried to be before. So e-prescribing is, again, a lovely playbook. You take a piece of the system, you work on the specs that you need to make that happen, and you build that out as you go. And so, for example, we're doing work in diagnostic imaging where we'll start to work on an e-referral system for diagnostic imaging. We are working on aged care in response to the Aged Care Royal Commission. We will, again, take a piece of the system at a point when Australians, in this case older Australians, really need that connection, and we'll build it out as we go. And I'm hoping those two things, those use cases and that big plan, we start to actually take the steps we need. I am really, really optimistic that this is the moment to get the work done that will actually keep laying the interoperable foundations for a truly world-class health system. I think about the amount of conferences or white papers or like just different things that we've talked ad nauseum about the need and we know the why for the, you know, for interoperability. Although we talk about we know the why and that often there's, the, you know, new people that come in, they're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with you that, you know, we need to be more interoperable, but then often forget like what we're doing. So I think that the work you've done in terms of getting that pathway to then to the next steps, but what I love most about what you've just mentioned and kind of wanted to highlight is the applying it to specific problems to be solved. They're pulling out the diagnostic imaging and the particularly for the aged care off the back of the Royal Commission. Are those, so those sound like they're the two kind of next things on your radar in terms of which are then connected to interoperability, which by, by doing those things, you're then shifting the whole thing forward. Does that sound about right? That's pretty right. Yeah, cool. So then thinking about then those that are operating in the space, we've got different stakeholders. We've got the vendors and the clinicians and, and the general public too that are accessing their information. And everyone wants to share... Well, some people want to share their voice or make sure the ADHA knows about the big issues from their perspectives and what they need to be addressed when it comes to technology and healthcare. What should different stakeholders be doing to make sure that their voice is heard with the ADHA? I think there's a big thing and then there's a daily thing. So the big thing is that alongside, in fact, almost umbrellaing, if you like, the work on the interoperability plan is our work on the next national digital health strategy. So we had the first strategy in 2017. It has been a big five years or coming up to that when this one finishes. We've learned an enormous amount of work from that first one. And of course, COVID has just, you know, as we've already talked about, amplified and changed so much. 
And so we're out now asking Australians, asking healthcare providers, getting feedback from industry and governments on what should the next national digital health strategy look like to take us as a nation through the next sort of four or five years and really with a no-holds-barred approach to what should come next in the light of the extraordinary journey we've all been on in the last 18 months. And then we've done a few things. So one, as I said, we've learned a lot from last time. We've done a lot under the last strategy. So now the issue is, and, and what we wanted to do this time is build from that, but also make sure we don't leave any stone unturned on what the next wave of ideas and innovations and framing should look like. And we also wanted to make sure that we got as many people involved in this as possible and that it looked and felt as digitally enabled as the strategy should be, given that that's what we're talking about. So we've done a whole lot. We've got a whole lot of traditional forums, of course, in them, and as we are able to, we'll do more of those in the coming months. But we've also had some quite significant digital forums where there's surveys, our platform at www.digitalhealth.gov.au. You can have your say. There's a survey that we're seeing. We've already had 6,000 Australians fill out the survey. It's terrific. Uh, we'd love lots more. We've had enormous numbers of health providers provide their input. And as I said, we're doing a whole lot of particularly targeted forums and really as many different engagements, digital and otherwise, that we can to get that feedback and start to roll through what that next strategy would look like. So for your listeners, anyone who hasn't already had a chance to be involved, we would absolutely love you to be because this is really the opportunity to frame that nation piece around where we should go on digital health. And the idea of it isn't for it to be everything. Of course not. We know there's extraordinary innovation going on right across the industry. Other state governments and the Commonwealth are framing digital ideas as well. We don't want to replicate. We want to leverage and frame what the national-based strategy should look like in light of all that you know, other remarkable stuff going on. So that's the biggie. The daily piece, the one that I think my wonderful Facebook person really illuminated for me, is ask your health provider to make sure you're getting that information uploaded. The more that consumers ask, the more they get the information, the more it's at their fingertips, the more they're engaged in the conversation, and the more utility that their own personally controlled record can provide for them. And so I think we've got to really be very informed, forward-leaning consumers in saying, no, no, no. I'd really like that to go in, please, because I want to have it when I go to my next appointment or, you know, I might end up in hospital and I really want the person at my bedside making decisions at that moment to have everything they can about me available to make the best decisions. So I think as a daily practice, I think we've also got to start, you know, really asking and expecting that that information will be there for us. Yeah. I saw some other examples online too that people have shared. And I think it's great that people are sharing, you know, like you say, the, the Facebook example, but there's been a couple of examples where people have seen on a pathology test or on paperwork that the clinician or a nurse or whoever has written, you know, don't put into the My Health record. And they're like, no, I would like you to put it in. And then digging into it, they're like, oh, it's, it's too hard to do or exactly. blah, 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 which is not the way to solve the problem. <laughs> that's, and I get it. I get you can be busy and that, you know, you're looking to save time and everything, but that's not solving a problem. That's so, exactly right. Um, and I think on our end, as the agency whose job it is to support the record on behalf and, the, you know, the other national digital health infrastructure on behalf of Australians, we've got to also help clinicians to make it as usable and easy as possible. So all that work we do to, to ask about workflows, to kind of continue those enhancements has to go alongside this so that we get that uptick. And so there's certainly a responsibility on our end to really keep driving that change and make it as usable and engaged in clinical information systems as possible. Love it. And lastly, then thinking about 
some final thoughts or that national strategy you mentioned, there's a lot of feedback that you're capturing to really shape what that strategy looks like. But in, in your mind, what does the, the future look like when it comes to the national digital health strategy? So I think it's really interesting because I think we're seeing some very strong themes coming through already. And they are, even though there's a long way to go and I don't appreciate the finale, but it's really interesting because they feel sort of right, even as you hear them. Mm. So we're hearing about people wanting virtual care and new models of care where they're picking the best of digital enablement whilst also wanting face-to-face when that's most appropriate. So expecting models of care that are going to really provide the right thing for them at the right time. We're hearing a lot around people talking about whole-of-person care, so the ability for all their care providers to have them at the centre, the information and the data is the enabler for that, and clinicians and other allied health and so on, orbiting's my word, but moving around them, not the other way around. Not me having to navigate them, but them navigating my needs and my health requirements and the way I see it. So I think that's a big shift and consumers are now, they're really fundamentally seeing that that's how it should be in a really modern world-class health system. Also, the other really strong theme that, again, I think the COVID has really also illuminated is the notion that this is also about health and well-being as well as sickness. So we've obviously always had things like chronic disease and so on, having that information really important medications management for people who have a lot more medications to manage digitally enabled health systems can help that. But this notion that will also start to help my well-being and my proactive health, giving me information that's going to help me make better choices early or that tells me a lot about what's going on in the population that's also then personalised to me. And that sense, and I think this is the big one, that sense of population health and data and research, illuminating the system writ large, and then identifying what that means for me as a single patient in the care of a healthcare provider or one or more. That's the next big piece. And we're all starting, obviously, to think about that, working on the way in which we load data in, much more atomic data that we can do much more analysis on, AI and other augmented information approaches. All of that, I think, is the next unlocker of the system while we build it right around people at the absolute centre. So it's pretty exciting, a lot to do, but I think we've taken some unbelievable steps forward. It sounds pretty bang on to me, Amanda. And, it's, and like you say, it's exciting and what a time to, you know, <laughs> come into the thick of it when you, you joined a bit over 12 months <laughs> yeah. ago. And I, honestly, but, it's a great privilege. I couldn't feel luckier. It is just a remarkable time to be in health and in digital health. Yeah, tell me about it. No, look, uh, excellent, Amanda. I really appreciate you making the time for the podcast today. We'll put all of those links that we mentioned in this conversation in the show notes of the episode for people to check out and also to jump in and have their say as well on the survey, assuming they're listening and there's still time. So, look, Amanda, I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, Pete. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Go make it happen.